Father, as we continue now in our time of worship and thanksgiving by hearing from you, from your word, God, may it be with a heart of gratitude that we approach your word knowing that you have condescended to speak to us through your scriptures. And God, I pray you would cultivate in us a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude in all things throughout our days. Even on a challenging year like this, God, perhaps especially on a challenging year like this, that we would rejoice and be grateful in all things. God, you are good all the time. We love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay. So, obviously this is Thanksgiving, a day of, of gratitude, of remembering the gifts, the goodness of God. And as a parent, this is an especially important time for me, a reminder, a season. It's, it's something that I, I strive so hard. It's perhaps one of the hardest things, a lot of you are parents and you know, to instill in your children our, our natural, our nature. We're born selfish. We want more. We want for ourselves and we are naturally discontent. And it is against this flesh that as believers we still strive. And we try as parents to cultivate even from a young age the virtue of gratitude, of thanksgiving, of being grateful for what we have. And not always coveting what we don't. And it's difficult. You're fighting against the very sinful nature of man, a heart that we, in our ability as human parents, can't rewrite. But we try. We try through discipline and instruction, but are ultimately the only way that we can get there is through the gospel. And so, from a very young age, I teach my children seven, their first seven memory verses to start from creation all the way through redemption and teach them what the gospel is because that is what will renew their heart. But even there, in those, those, those seven gospel verses that I give them, beginning at Genesis 1-1 in creation, I quickly work my way even before getting to sin and then redemption in Christ. After I introduce them to God as creator, I want them to understand what our natural and rightful response to that God should be because it helps understand what sin is, what it is to rebel against and reject that God and turn against him, to disobey him, to break his law. And so, the very next verse that I teach them is 1 Chronicles 16.34. After Genesis 1.1, when they learn in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The next thing I teach them, 1 Chronicles 16.34, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. This God who made you is a good God, a loving God, a God whose love is always with you, endures forever. And your right response to that should be thankfulness. From there, we move on to establish that we have not been thankful to God. 
but rather, as Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, what is sin? 1 John 3.4 tells us that he who commits sin breaks the law, transgresses the law, commits lawlessness, for sin is the breaking of God's law. Sin is lawlessness. Or James 4.17, which, uh, which tells us that anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. But as I'm establishing sin, I've already laid a first foundation, that there is this good God to whom we ought to be grateful. And if you are not grateful, it will lead into these other sins. I'm not inventing this idea. Paul In the book of Romans, when he begins the book in chapter 1, he traces out the origin of sin, the nature of sin, the depth and breadth of our sin and our absolute need for redemption. He begins tracing that out. In Romans 1.21, he says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And from there, if you walk through the rest of the chapter, he begins to walk out how that leads to idolatries, to sexual immorality, to covetous theft, disobedience to parents. He he covers the whole gamut of all these other sins that flow out ultimately from what? A thankless heart. What is this root of sin? Well, ultimately, a refusal to honor God and to give Him thanks. Thanksgiving is not just one random Christian virtue among others. Thanksgiving is at the heart of what the Christian is called to be in part because it is at the heart of everything that has gone wrong in humanity. It is at the heart of the fall. Adam and Eve in the garden. You can have any tree you want to eat from. I give you paradise. I give you everything. Just don't touch this one. That's the one I want. I want the one thing you didn't give me. What is at the heart of our sinfulness? Well, Paul says, it is ingratitude. It is the unwillingness to give God thanks. And in fact, this affects Paul's evangelism. In Acts 14, 15 through 17, uh, Paul is preaching. He has healed a man. And the, 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 the Greco-Roman pagans there mistake him for one of their gods come in human form. And that's how he had the power to heal. And so they're ready to make sacrifices to Paul and his partner Barnabas as Zeus and Hermes, these Olympian gods of Greek mythology. And Paul is trying to stop them. No, no, no. And in Acts 14, 15 through 17, he says, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of the same nature as you. And we preach the gospel to you 
that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without witness, and that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. What's Paul doing here? He's attempting to provoke them to gratitude. This God you don't know who is above all gods, the true and living God far beyond the idols and worthless statues that you worship, the God who made heaven and earth and everything that is in them. That God has been good to you. Every good harvest you've ever eaten every refreshing rain that has ever fallen on your land, every good thing you have in this life, your heart's desire, the delights that you have enjoyed, those are from this God. Worship Him. His evangelism is attempting to stir gratitude in them because gratitude toward God. We can't be thankful to God and reject him and worship idols at the same time. <sighs> Gratitude is inherent in the gospel message. We are calling people to turn away from their sinful rebellion and bring them to submit before God, accepting the good that he has given them. And worship him as their genuine only divine benefactor. Why do we exist? Because God made us. Thank him for that. Why do we have any good things in this life? Because God gave them to us. Thank him for that. And this isn't just a New Testament, uh, New Testament idea. You see this throughout the Old Testament too. One of my favorite places is in the book of Job. As a, uh, as a Christian apologist, Book of Job is somewhere I spend a lot of time. A lot of people go there for questions of like the problem of evil. How can there be this good, all-powerful God and yet people suffer, even people who worship and follow God, who are repentant for their sins and, and, and who, are, who love God and worship Him, yet all these horrible things happen to them. Why? Why does this happen? And Job wrestles with these very questions. One of the most powerful passages that, are, that so many people breeze by because it's a very long book and it's difficult to sift through all the details in. But in Job 35, 9 through 13, we read, Because of the multitude of oppressions, they cry out. They cry out for help uh, because of the arm of the Almighty. But no one says, where is God my maker who gives songs in the night, who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds of the heavens? Therefore they cry out, but he does not answer because of the pride of evil men. Surely God will not listen to an empty cry, nor will the Almighty regard it. 
we look around at the suffering and the struggling in life and we cry out, where is God? Where is God in all of this? And he points out, yet nobody is crying, where is God who gives us songs in the night, who make us wiser than the beasts so that we can even ask these questions? who put us in this unique place in all of existence to have mind and will and soul, to even wrestle with all of this to start with, who set us apart from the animals and placed us in this unique situation, who endowed us with these gifts given to no other creature. Where is that God? No, at the end of the day, for us to even begin to wrestle with the hard things in life, we have to start with the fact that our ability to even do that is something we ought to be thankful for. Even in my worst days, I am something I don't deserve to be. God has been good to us. Good. And it is... It is a true evil for us not to be thankful to him. That doesn't mean hard things aren't hard. That doesn't mean suffering isn't suffering. That doesn't mean that I can't be in a bad situation and wish that I wasn't in it. We're going to get to that. But a foundation at the beginning of all of that is to recognize that even when I cry out to God for deliverance, that cry ought to be itself permeated with a heart that is grateful to God, grateful to the God who hears my cries for deliverance, grateful to the God who has privileged me to come to him in prayer, grateful to my maker. Paul elsewhere writes, but having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. Sorry, this is in 2 Corinthians 4, 13 through 15. Uh, I, believe, therefore I, uh, I, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you for all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Oh, there's so much here. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and present you with us. For those of us who have put our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ, he will raise us up together, together to live forever with him. I don't care how bad this life is, that is something to be thankful for. For all things are for your sakes. Paul elsewhere says, that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That my worst trial 
God doesn't let it happen by accident or pointlessly. There is no gratuitous suffering for the believer, extra suffering that didn't have any reason for it. God just let the world run wild with sin and hurt and hate. That any wickedness that we endure, any trial, any trouble is for your sakes. It is for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose that we may not see it this side of eternity. But I can take comfort in the trials because there is a purpose in them. And I may not know the purpose, but I know the God who has the purpose. All these things are for our sakes. Let us give thanks in that. But he goes on, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound. Have you ever thought about that the purpose of evangelism is in part so that more people will give thanks to God? Why do I share the gospel? Well, the scriptures give us a number of reasons. We can't just pick one proof text and say that's the only reason. But here, Paul gives a pretty incredible reason why I share the gospel. The grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Why do I share the gospel with, with people? Because I am so thankful to this God. I want more people to be thankful to him. Guys, do you know? Do you know what God has done for you? You be thankful to him too. Turn to him. Give him the gratitude he is due because he is worthy of it. To his glory, thank him. Oh, you're not thanking him yet? Well, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you what you can thank him for. Oh, you don't believe in God? Let me tell you of this God so that you can know him, so that you can be thankful to him, to his glory because he deserves it. He is worthy of all of our gratitude and praise and thanksgiving and more. This, our gratitude to God and our yearning for his glory ought to drive us to evangelism, if for no other reason, because we want that guy to be thankful to God too. We want that girl to be expressing her gratitude, praying and praising and singing to him in gratitude and humble thanksgiving for the goodness that he has done because his goodness deserves that credit. Not that God needs our credit, but he is worthy of it. He deserves it. And we ought not only to give it ourselves, but we ought to want other people to because our God is worthy of that. Again, the Old Testament speaks the same things. Isaiah 12, 4 says, Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, make them remember that his name is exalted. Let the people know how great our God is. Spread that word and give thanks. Oh, we serve a good God. Oh, man. Do you know the Greek word for thanksgiving is eucharistia, eucharistia. It's where in um, church history, where the word Eucharist comes from, which 
in Roman Catholic circles and some uh, Eastern Orthodox is still used today for the Lord's Supper, for when we partake of the bread and the cup, what we know to be a memorial meal in remembrance of what Christ did, his broken body, his shed blood. But the word that is traditionally attached to that, going back to the earliest, earliest Christian writings, they talked about gathering together for the bread and the cup, and they called it Thanksgiving, Eucharistia, where we get Eucharist. That that very act, the heart of Christian worship, of remembering the body and blood of Christ in the bread, in the wine, they saw that as first and foremost an act of thanksgiving. We, why do Christians come together? So that together we can remember Christ and thank God for what he's done. In fact, in some early Christian liturgies, they expounded the imagery. All right, the bread and the cup, they remind us first and foremost of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. But they also remind us of bread and of a cup full of grape juice. Who made the grain? Who made the grapes? Who made this wonderful creation that we partake even of the, the material things in? God did. That in every way they used these elements to point back to all we have to be thankful for. They looked at the bread that was made up and the wine that was made up of multiple things. A bunch of grains crushed together into flour and made into bread. A bunch of grapes smushed together to get the juice made into wine. And they saw in this what God had done for us, his people, people of many nations, tribes, and tongues who would be enemies without the gospel. But through the gospel, through Jesus Christ, we are brought together into one. And they gave thanks for that. They took this central act of Christian worship and they used it to point to as many things as they could think of, stretch the analogy beyond all limits to drag in everything they could to say, thank you, God, for this. That was their worship. Along with, of course, the preaching of the word, the singing songs of praise, prayers of thanksgiving, the bread and the cup, too, became this central act of thanksgiving. Oh, I wish I had time to go on and on. The Bible has so much to say about this heart of giving thanks. But I'll close here. I'll close here just with a, with a story. Back in World War II, <clears throat> during the oppression of Nazi Germany, uh, there was a Christian girl in Holland whose story is well known, Corrie Ten Boom, who her and her family were leading figures in the underground, hiding Jews from Nazi arrest, being sent off to the concentration camps. In her book, The Hiding Place, she tell, is one of her books where she tells this story. And uh, eventually she was arrested and her and her sister ended up in the same concentration camp together. And her sister, Betsy, had this obnoxious joy, even in these worst of situations, that Corey admits her own frustration with. And so they've been brought in 
and they're in this common living area at this time. They're not even in individual cells at this point. Them and all these other women. Imagine like a hundred women crammed into a room with a pile of hay that they all have to share as a bed. The sickness spreads among them, the bugs, the everything. They're in this horrible situation. And they're there. They've smuggled a Bible in. And after reading it together, Betsy's saying to Corey, you know, we were just reading. And it was a verse about Thanksgiving. Off the top of my head, I can't remember which verse it was. But about giving thanks in all things. And so she's like, you know, we, we need to do that. We need to do that now. That's what we can do in response. We can't deliver ourselves from the situation. We can, but we can be thankful. So let's just look around. And Corey's like, what do we have to be thankful for in this situation? She's like, well, we were arrested and and imprisoned together. We could have been separated. We're here together, sisters. And Corey's like, okay, well, I'll give you that. That's something to be thankful for. And she's like, and we didn't get caught with the Bible. We've got that Bible in here with us. That's something to be thankful for, right? Well, okay, true. They searched a lot of people. They didn't search us. That was a kindness of God that he deterred their attention, and we made it in with this Bible. Okay, okay, I'll give you that. And she's like, and we're crowded in here. Wait, what? That's what makes this awful. Yeah, but because of that, so many people can hear when we're reading and praying together and we could share the word with so many and be a comfort to so many from the word of God. If we were all spread out into different cells and different camps, we wouldn't be able to do that. By being crowded into one room, we can minister to so many. And Corey kind of grits her teeth. Okay. I'll admit, I'll be thankful for that. And then she's like, and let's thank God for the fleas. And Corey's like, okay, now just stop. <laughs> I'm not thanking God for the fleas. I can thank God in spite of the fleas, but I'm not going to thank him for the fleas. Well, Betsy got sick. So sick, she couldn't go to the labor. To, they'd send him out during the day to do manual labor. She couldn't do the labor. So she was stuck back at the camp. And she took advantage of that opportunity while she was there to go and minister to all the other sick women who couldn't go and work. She would go with their Bible and pray with them and read with them and was astonished. She never got caught. The guards never seemed to be around until finally one day, Corey came back from labor and Betsy came running up to her and said, guess what, Corey? I just found out why the guards never catch us. You see, a dispute broke out and they went and called on the guards to come in and settle things. And the guard said, we're not going in there, not with all those fleas. Why'd they never get caught? Time to be thankful for the fleas. You may not know why God is blessed, how God is blessing you with the suffering, but Betsy was right. Even the fleas were a blessing. She had the privilege of finding that out. How many of us go through life never knowing how God blessed us, through what we think is the awful thing in our life. But God put it there for a reason. He had a purpose. James 1 tells us, rejoice when we go through trials of many kinds, for the testing of our faith produces patience, steadfastness, endurance. Romans 5 says a very similar thing. We have so much to be thankful for. Even the things in life that we would put high on the list of stuff not to be thankful for. Because our God is that good that the worst of things, even the worst of things in our life, are actually his blessings. 
because he's sovereign to use the worst of things, to put things we would never ask for in our life, because that's going to be the thing that's going to do something we wouldn't have expected, may never even notice that it did, to refine our character, to give us an opportunity to minister, to draw us to himself, to protect us from some even worse evil. We serve a sovereign, mighty God. And in 2020, a year where so much has gone wrong, where it's been so tempting to live in fear, anger, frustration, and ingratitude. This of all years, let us stir one another up to thanksgiving. And let's go enjoy the delight that our God invented and created Turkey. (laughs) All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much. You are so good to us. We love you, God. You are such a great God. Thank you, God. Forgive us for all the times that you have brought a trial, a trouble, a difficulty into our life for a good and holy purpose. And we have spurned your gift because we did not see your goodness in it. Help us to remember that, God, you are so sovereign, so mighty, so good that your kindness is even in our pain. Your generosity lies even in our sorrows. Help us never to forget that. And help us to be your hands and feet in bringing those blessings to others, helping others in their trials and suffering so that they would see our good works and glorify not us, but you, our God in heaven, the God of every good gift. In the name of Jesus Christ, the greatest gift of all, we pray. Amen.